Well, let us stand now for our scripture text from Psalm 119. And today, as we continue our study through Psalm 119, we will be looking at verses 41 through 44. Psalm 119, verses 41 through 44. Let your mercies come also to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. So shall I have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. And Take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in your ordinances. So shall I keep your law continually forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. O Holy Spirit of God, illuminate our hearts now that we may know and understand this word, that it may indeed transform, renew, and revive us in the living word of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, in Psalm 119, we have seen how the redeemed, faith-filled child of God loves God's law. He delights in God's precepts and rejoices in God's commandments because they are life to him. He is strengthened according to God's word, and there is blessing that comes by walking in God's ways, and therefore protection in God's counsel. And so he longs for God's testimonies. And so we've seen in Psalm 119 in response, the psalmist petitions God to teach him more to give him more understanding, to incline his heart to God's truth, to make him walk more surely upon God's path of commandments, that this word of God may be established and deep-seated within his soul. Because he knows it's God's way, God's truth that gives him life and renews him day by day. God is not just a mystery, but is now an offense. But the child of God is driven by faith with a resolved assurance in the truth. And this assurance brings the reproach of others, the disdain of the ungodly, and the hatred of the wicked. And this is where the Christian stands in a fallen world where the lost follow the prince of the power of the air. Where principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age come against those who stand for truth with all their fury and wrath. The life goal of these powers is really to rid the earth of Christianity, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and eliminate the truth of God. And so it is, a Christian that is standing for the truth of God today, will be persecuted. I need my mic. Need this guy? Okay. If you're a Christian, and you stand for the truth of God today, you will be persecuted. Remember what the early disciples said? We must go through many tribulations to enter the kingdom of God. We must stand with those who have gone before and been reviled for standing for the truth. 
From the earliest times in the church, you remember Stephen, the deacon, Wycliffe, Tyndale, Calvin, Luther, countless millions of unknown saints who have lost everything, and even some were martyred for God's truth. And today in our culture, the truth is that the attack is focused upon the very foundation of what is reality. And increasingly, we must believe the truth. We must rest our hope fully on the truth. We must be grounded in the truth. And we must resolutely take up the mantle of truth and declare the truth. Because our souls were not redeemed by the blood of Christ so that we can go live a comfortable, self-oriented American life. We are to give it all up, as our brother said, deny ourselves for the sake of Christ, to take up his cross and follow him to stand for the truth of God. Now with that introduction, let us, let us go to the text. And, and I'd like you to keep two headings in your mind as we walk through this passage today. Firstly, what is truth? And secondly, knowing the truth, and as those who are truth bearers, what are we to do with truth? How is the Christian to stand for truth in this culture today? Let's begin with verse 41 of our text. Let your mercies come also to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. Having petitioned God to revive him in righteousness, the psalmist now seeks the mercies of God uh, and salvation according to God's word. Not according to my word, not according to the world's word or truth, not according to other religions' ideas, but according to God's word. Psalm 69 says, You hear me in the truth of your salvation. That's because there is only one truth for God's salvation. There are not many roads to heaven. Uh, There is not an acceptance by God of any other false way. As the Apostle Peter said, there is no salvation in any other. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so it's upon the truth that everything rests, everything hangs. There's only one life, there's only one way, there's only one truth, and that is in Christ. Now, to rightly understand the importance of truth, we have to realize, with a little bit of sobriety, that the stakes are very high. And while many debates and squabbles take place over minor issues, truth is foundational to everything else we discuss. It's a core tenet of the cosmic spiritual battle that's taking place. It's a fight for truth. We know that God defines truth because he is truth. He established it. Yet there are powerful forces at work desirous of taking control of truth and redefining it. Now, we know that any battle or any war, in any military conflict, the opposing side will use various tactics and strategies 
during the conflict in order to leverage resources and conditions and really physical realities that are present during any time of the fight. And today, the most significant conflict that is going on, which is, of course, the spiritual battle against God's redeemed, the enemies of the Christian, particularly this world and the evil one, are striking with hard blows of confusion. Confusion is a significant weapon in the enemy's inventory. Confusion and a wholesale dismantling of truth is one of the key tactics being leveraged against God's people today. In addition to this lie that is being pushed, the lie that any belief in objective truth is irrational, the current strategy of the enemy is to establish in the minds of people that any verity, any truth, is not only unknown, but is always changing. Truth is elusive to the point where there's no truth worth standing for. Just give up. A truth can be defined or redefined at any time by any person or any organization. Truth has become a moving target that can never be established as objective. In fact, declaring that objective truth is the only truth is an offense in our culture. And even, in fact, called by some an act of violence. In the world we live in today, where there is an all-out assault upon the truth, stirring up confusion stirring up confusion to to such extreme levels that the once truth-abiding historic halls of the United States Congress now have to hear the disgraceful replies of presidential cabinet nominees and human rights campaign leaders who are asked some of the most elementary questions and are confounded. Just this past June, Senator Ted Cruz in a hearing, asked a national political leader a question, the same question five times. It's a very simple question, but he was unable to get a reply. Senator Cruz said, quote, Do you believe there is a difference between women and men? Simple question. He said, Most people could answer, answer this very simply. I'm curious to see if you're willing to do so. Unfortunately, the senator could not get a response to this very basic question. Truth is seemingly gone in our culture. But be sure this did not happen overnight. It was the slow fade, the small compromises, the seemingly minor nicks in the armor of truth that decay to the point where the highest leaders in the nation that we can put in front of this country are unsure whether there is any difference between men and women. That's where we are. Moreover, powerful forces that seemingly once pushed the entirety of society into directions are now lost and confounded and unable to find anything solid to stand upon. Feminists, 
hailed as the great advocates and defenders of women's rights, now find themselves in a very awkward position of defending men who say they feel like women. Yet deep down inside, we all know that these people are not really women because they have all but obliterated women's sports, threatened women's safety, and destroyed feminine beauty. Yet now, ironically, feminists are fighting for the rights of perverted men against women to the demise of their own cause. See, in our, in our culture, truth has become a conundrum. Truth is a mystery, something unable to grasp a hold of. How did we get here? How did something so fundamental disappear from our work? How is it that the bedrock of reality, the, the stone of law and order, the grounding of this nation, objective truth, how was it systematically dismantled and rejected? Well, it happened, as it will always happen in every case, whenever God's truth is replaced with human desires. When hope is not found in the word of God, but in what we want. And today, we need to wake up to this. This is propelled by one of the most dangerous, deadly ideas that is building in our culture The idea that your feelings are truth. Truth is defined by whatever I feel. Whatever I'm inclined to do, I'm just going to do it. And that becomes real and right to me. What I feel is true to me, and so you have to let me do it. Don't resist your feelings. Don't resist your cravings. Don't resist those impulses. You need to act on your urges because that's your identity. That's who you are. Follow those. Live how you feel. One of the most common bumper stickers for middle-aged women in America reads this. Do what makes you happy. And this toxic precept that truth is your feelings has even crept into the church. We change it a little bit. Do you know how we say it? We say, I knew it was right because I felt it deep in my heart. No, absolutely not. We are not going to trust in our hearts, our flesh, and our cravings. Our identity is not what we feel about something. But this is why legislatures are legalizing all kinds of things. And it's not just sexual perversion, but it's things which used to be heard of in America have moved from being legalized to celebrated. And if you don't embrace it, you will be ridiculed. And if you speak against it, you will be targeted and eliminated. Romans 1 teaches us that this insane idea does nothing but turn us into animals just acting on impulse. Animals just do whatever they feel. Oh, God has much more for those made in his image. Amen. Truth is not your feelings. We do not follow our hearts that is contrary to what God has for his people. He has given us the truth. And we do not follow our hearts. 
We do not follow this flesh that's been corrupted by sin. We are not animals. We are made in the image of God, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We have been given faith. We have been given the truth so that we may love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Truth is not your feelings. Proverbs 28.26 says, Whoever trusts in his own heart is a fool. Romans 8.7 says, For the mind is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. We all know Jeremiah 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? How about the Apostle Paul? Did he trust his feelings? Romans 7.18, he said, For I know that in me, that is my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present within me, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. He doesn't find it in his flesh. So should we follow our hearts? No. Question your heart. Test your heart. Don't get pulled around by our feelings and emotions. Don't just react and respond. We need to seek the solid grounding of the word of God. We know of this corruption of our hearts, and we know we have to fill it with the truth. This is why Psalm 119, verse 11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. But the destruction of objective reality is something we must face in this world that we go out into. And how it's occurred is by giving to the notion that half-truths are a suitable replacement for truth. Wasn't this the approach of the serpent to Eve? Will you not surely die? For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. It was half true in some ways, wasn't it? As R.J. Rushduni said, truth is exact and precise. And the slightest departure from truth is the substitution of falsity for truth. But what's amazing is something even beyond what Rushduni said is happening today. Truth is being replaced wholesale with lies. The world wants us to believe not just a different truth, but that truth does not even exist. Objective truth is unattainable, it says. And so to stand firmly on a bedrock of immovable truth is to violate the rights, the conscience, and liberty of humanity itself. No objective truth. Where does this leave the Christian today? This, of course, is what Paul faced on Mars Hill in Acts 17. Because he, too, confronted a society unsure if any truth existed. Uh, The truth was hard to, to pin down. And so Paul brought them the foundational doctrine that there, there is no gray area. There's no myth of neutrality. You are either for God or against God. There are not many gods. There's only one God. Nothing else is worthy of our worship other than God. And anything else that is worshipped is rebellion against the one true and living God. 
And this is the declaration of Psalm 119. O Lord, give me your salvation according to your word. I trust in your word. Take not the word of truth out of my mouth. The truth is the word of God. We studied it last week. We studied how Jesus prayed to the Father in John 17 and said, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And he goes on to tell us how in this set-apart placement of ours in this world, our purpose, as long as we still live on this earth, is to reveal God's truth. And that truth is active within us. Jesus said, you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world, and for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified by the truth. In this world, in this life, we who have been given the truth, we live by it. We're strengthened by it. And we live it out according to the glory of God. And therefore, brothers and sisters, we must live by this truth. By the one truth, the word of God has been given to us. Our confession tells us that we need the word of God in order to live and to broadcast this truth. Listen here to our confession. Although the light nature of God and the works of creation and providence do so far manifest the goodness, wisdom, and power of God as to leave men inexcusable, yet they are not sufficient to give that knowledge of God, of his will, which is necessary unto salvation. This is the specific and special revelation that God has given us through his word. We need it. We don't just need it to reference, we need it to live. So the truth of God is so much to us. It is not just a handbook to to reference when, when, when we have a difficult decision. It is what we must live by. It must be in us. It must be our every thought, our every consideration, our vision. It must be our only guide. The word of God is the truth. Jesus said this himself. You are a follower of Christ. You are of the truth. You might remember, right before his crucifixion, Jesus was on trial before Pontius Pilate. And he was being questioned by Pilate. And in response to whether Jesus is a king, Jesus responded and said this in John eighteen thirty seven. You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. So in Christ, we are of the truth. And so we are to be aligned continually to the truth, to the word of God, and shaped by it. As Romans 12 says, our minds must be renewed around the word of God, according to the pattern of the word of God. It's like water that that takes the shape of whatever vessel it's poured into our lives must be molded to the word of God. And just as a side note, a brother and I were recently discussing how we, we miss and sort of forget the word of God. 
throughout most of our day. We're not thinking about it in the little things that we should be shaping all of our lives according to the word of God. Just a simple thing. How do you conduct a meeting? Does the Bible have something to tell us about that? In the Bible, meetings meetings begin with, with, with with a blessing and end with a benediction. How can we run our meetings that way? Some of you know Josiah is going into plumbing. How do you plumb according to the glory of God? What, what does the Bible have for us in plumbing? You might say, you're taking this a little too far. I mean, come on, turning wrenches? Yes, turning wrenches for the glory of God. And it's not just doing it well. Amen, it's doing it well to the glory of God. But there's something in the truth of God for us here to be reformed, to be proclaimed, to be shouted the truth of God. We must possess it. We must hold it tightly. As Proverbs 23, 23 says, we are instructed to buy the truth and do not sell it. Buy the truth. It's worthy of all we have. It's more valuable than anything we can obtain in this life. As we started our service today with Psalm 19, the precepts, the law, the truth of the Lord is to be desired more than gold, yea, than fine gold, sweeter than the honey and the honeycomb, and keeping them is great reward. So we are to buy the truth and nothing else, not what this world offers, not the varying perspectives of the culture that are based on man's tradition, not feelings, not agendas, but the truth of God. Some of you might remember that this is exactly what happened to Christian and faithful in Pilgrim's Progress. As they walked through Vanity Fair, you remember Vanity Fair? Vanity Fair was a place where merchandise and vanities of all kinds were sold and traded. Where the gods of possession and foolishness for pleasure reigned. Where the prize went to those who looked the most outlandish and bizarre. Where everyone's self-made identity was their source of power. Where all eyes were on the next piece of merchandise or shiny attraction that they could get their hands on, all cloaked in deception for gain. Sound familiar? So as Christian and faithful walked through Vanity Fair, they stood in stark contrast to everyone else. And looking upward, it says they signified that their trade and traffic was in heaven. But they were then approached by a seller of wares, and he asked them, what will you buy? But looking gravely upon him, they said, we buy the truth. And that was all it took. A simple standing for the truth. They did not want the wares of Vanity Fair. They wanted truth and truth alone. Yet for this, they were mocked. They were taunted. They were spoken of reproachfully. They were put on trial. They were falsely accused. They were beaten and they were placed into a cage in the middle of the fair to be mocked at by passers-by. And if you've read the story, you know eventually it was at Vanity Fair that Faithful was put to death. 
because they stood for truth. The word of the cross is an offense to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Martin Luther said that when the cross is abolished and the rage of tyrants and heretics cease, is a sure token that the pure doctrine of God's word is taken away. In other words, truth and tyranny against God are not compatible. Truth is offensive to the regenerate man because of what it is and what it stands for. See, truth is not interested in self-defined living. I mean, that is, that is America today, isn't it? Self-defined Truth dismisses artificial realities. Truth has nothing to do with artificial doctrine. Truth cuts through personal preferences and options set forth. Truth has no room for experiments and amusements and diversions. Truth has no time for fabrications and distortions. Truth is not dynamic or fragmented. Truth is unmovable. Truth does not waver. It does not change. It is firmly established. Truth is accuracy. Truth is from above. Truth is of God himself by divine revelation. Truth is absolute. It's not relative. Truth is exclusive. There's only one truth. And truth is not always politically correct. Truth is very discriminating. Truth is not conditional, it's not specific, and truth is never random. Truth is eternal, transcendent, and everlasting. Truth is the word of God and the word that became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus Christ. The truth of God's word that proclaims the cross of Jesus Christ is an offense and will bring approach, which is exactly what the psalmist declares In verse 42, so shall I have an answer for him who reproaches me, for I trust in your word. Just like Christian and faithful, he is reproached because he trusts the word of God. So he calls to God for help. But but he knows that a solid grounding in God's truth is the declaration of the Christian. It's how we walk, it's how we live. It says, with my feet firmly planted on the rock that is Christ, not the shifting sand of the world, not the moving target that truth has become in our culture, but upon the unchangeable verity of God that has always been before the foundations of the earth, all the way forward to eternity future, that's where I stand. Truth is my compass, and it's all that directs me. So then upon that, then I will have an answer for those that reproach me because I'm confident in the truth of my God. Isn't the confidence of God's people amazing? That the faith-driven hope of godly men who stood for truth beside the fourth man in the fire? Those who faithfully marched around Jericho before seeing it crumble. Can you imagine being there? Daniel in the lion's den. 
Peter and John saying, we don't have anything, but rise up and walk. This is incredible, faith-driven, humble confidence in God. But what produces such confidence? Is it trusting in your feelings? Following your heart? No. It's faith in God that brings this confidence. Faith in God, a love for God, produces a hunger for truth. Saying, God, I don't, I don't want anybody else's truth. I just want your truth, God. Because at that moment, you don't want the alternative. You don't want some guy's advice. You don't want some cultural movement's agenda. You want God's truth. Maker of heaven and earth. Only redeemer of man's soul. Will you follow so we need to be careful, brothers and sisters. We need, to be, we need to figure out what we need to turn away from in our life so that we can stop listening to the lies and we need to put away falsehoods. We need to step away from the confusion of the world and get grounded and rooted in the word. That is never changing. We were talking this morning about that, that confession we speak of. This church... We hold to a document that's 500 years old. We need to hold to the word of God that's eternally old, forever and unchanging. We are to walk in the truth. And, and in that, to live under the comprehensive lordship of Christ so that all our actions are unified in the obedience of God and his glory. As Christians who have this truth, we must take the truth and then see rightly that all things are unified in God's overarching plan, summed up in the supremacy of Christ. As we've said, Christ is on every page of the Word of God. As Christians, we have to be crystal clear on who we are and who we serve. We have to be solidly confident and knowledgeable about how we are to live before the face of God. We can't shape our lives to the voices of the day, but we must lodge our identities firmly in the transcendent reality of the triune God. Dr. Doug Grotice said, Gone must be the religious preferences and spiritual lifestyles that Christians are now running to. We must be directed by God-ordained duties, responsibilities, privileges, and blessings. Because these will be challenged. These are the things that will be threatened. Will we have an answer for those who reproach us? Yes, we will. Because we lean, we rely, we trust on God's word. And this is the declaration of truth that the psalmist says next in verse 43. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for I have hoped in your ordinances. This is, this is our prayer as well. God, don't take the word of truth out of my mouth. It is my hope. I must speak it. And I cannot just keep it to myself. I must profess this faith. I, I must declare the greatness of our God and his saving work to the world. I must shout of his royal majesty, of his power, of his triumph over his enemies, over his compassion to the fatherless and the widow, 
Oh God, you are my reason for any hope. And whenever we think about this, answering, speaking of our faith, your mind probably is drawn to our scripture text, 1 Peter 3. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And amen. We must be ready to give a defense. We must know the truth, study the truth, be practiced and trained in swinging the sword of the Spirit so that we can proclaim the word of truth from our mouths. But notice, let's look, it begins with these words. First, First Peter 3.15 begins saying, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. That's how we approach it. Sanctify the Lord God's God in our hearts. Because as we've discussed, our hearts need some sanctifying, don't they? We can't even trust them. They need to be sanctified according to God's word. So that we grow in that hope and then we are able to give a defense for that hope within us. This is why Jesus prayed twice to the Father for his disciples and said, sanctify them by your truth. And and so the picture here is that our hearts are continually being sanctified in something. Right? If If you sanctify the world, if you consume a lot of the world, that will shape your heart. Whatever you're taking in is molding you. Because then out of the heart, the mouth speaks. But if you're sanctified by the truth, then your heart will be sanctified by the truth. And you'll stand like Daniel. You'll be bold like Peter and John, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You don't let your heart be molded to the ways of the world, to the confusing, rootless, always shifting truth of the world, but in God's unchangeable word. And so this, the psalmist's conclusion here in verse 44 is that there's only one truth he can stand by forever. So I shall keep your law continually forever and ever. And we will, Church of Jesus Christ, continue in God's word forever. We will keep hearing it, we'll keep receiving it, we'll keep loving it, we'll keep obeying it forever and ever. But, you know, I think we've seen in perilous and difficult times that it's one thing to stand for the word of God and it's another thing to always stand for the word of God no matter the circumstance. As one Christian leader said, weaklings are those who know the truth but maintain it only as far as it is in their interest to do so. And apart from that, they forsake it. Truth is easy to follow when it accommodates us, isn't it? And so it is standing for truth and walking in God's ways, even in the midst of pressure from the outside, is only successful and only real with a strong, rooted faith. Otherwise, we'll compromise. We'll give a little, give a little more, give a little more, and before we know it, we've given up the foundations and the unthinkable in our society is celebrated. Francis Schaeffer wrote a whole book about this. 
He, he said if our reflex action is always accommodation, regardless of the centrality of truth involved, there's something very wrong with us. As we all know, tolerance is the new moniker in our culture. And of course, we have learned that that just means a specific type of tolerance. The only things really tolerated are those that align with a relativistic worldview. But truth is not tolerant, is it? No, truth is not accommodating. Truth is black and white. Truth is crystal clear. Truth is precise. So as children of God, as those who are of the truth, to stand for truth, it will take a faith-grounded confidence in God. That's what we see in Psalm 119 today. The imperative of depending upon God's truth to drive our hope and our walk in this life. And so, with that critical importance of understanding the truth today, I'd like to conclude with a charge for us all from Ephesians 6. We're all familiar with Ephesians 6. It admonishes us to put on the armor of God and the first piece of armor that we put on is the belt of truth. No other armor is put on or even considered until the belt of truth is fastened to the Christian. The first piece of armor that the Christian holds to in order to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might is the belt of truth. Now, the illustration for us is born out of the military Roman's soldier's belt, which was not the little flimsy one-inch leather belt that I'm wearing now, but it is the thick, heavy, sturdy, six-inch-wide metal and leather band that holds all the soldier's weapons. Because everything hangs on the truth, doesn't it? For the word of God is truth. What happens without the belt of truth? As Paul said in Ephesians 4, we are carried away by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. We all know we need our sidearm right there on our belt. We don't need it over by the piano. Too late. Belt of truth grounds us, holds us. We must be solid in it. We must gird ourselves with the truth. We must know it, be firm in it, believe in it, more and more every day by faith. We must get ourselves under the authority of Scripture because it will be challenged wherever you go in life. I mean, I I don't know about some of you, but I never thought we'd be faced with the reality of laws enacted that allow men to go into women's restrooms. This is the ultimate of perversion, yet it is pushed strongly today. I don't know what these little ones are going to face. I had no idea that I would face such things in my lifetime. What will they face when they're 40, 50, 60 years old? You see how we must be grounded in the truth? We must stand in whatever God's providence holds for us. Truth will reign supreme. No matter what comes, 
Whether it's discarded by the world or not, we know that truth will rule. But you know what my soul is heaviest over? We all know those who seemed to have believed in the truth, and then they sold it. They fell into the confusion of the day, or as Jesus said, the cares of the world choked the word of truth from them. But we all know these things are in the hand of God. And we know the end has not yet come. May our hearts break over these lost ones and may we pray for them and may we pray for one another here because we're all just as vulnerable to this confusion and deception and the schemes of the enemy. But as God said in Isaiah, our song of salvation says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon you. Brothers and sisters, may we keep our minds stayed upon God and may we do so by faith so that we never compromise, but we stand on the truth and and we declare if our king said it and promised it and decreed it, then it will be. As Martin Luther said on trial, unless I'm convinced by the scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of the popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. Amen. Let us rejoice in that. We have been given the truth. We know the truth. The foundation of our salvation and everything we live by today has been given to us. It's not veiled. It's not hidden. It's seen clearly. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Oh dear family, God has put the word of truth in our souls. Let us rejoice and live it out. Let us infuse it into everything we do in our lives. May we know and live the truth. We must receive the truth. We must grow in our knowledge of the truth. We have to stand for the truth, but we also must spread it, declare it to an unbelieving world. Proverbs 12, 17 says, He who speaks truth declares righteousness. We are God's ambassadors and declarers of righteousness. We must know the truth or we will be carried off by the wind and the waves. The current culture that we live in is trying to scare you. It says things like, we're coming for your children. You heard that? This is nothing compared to the real demonic principalities and powers that seek to kill. But as Jesus said, do not fear those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So it is God that we fear and God that we rest. It is his truth that we must know. And in that truth, we know that the demons are nothing to the name of Jesus Christ and the word of God. So let us stand on the truth. Let us know it and study it and and go deeper. Dive deeper into this truth. Do something. Join a Bible study. We do like 11 a week in this church. Go online. Order a Bible study. Be grounded in the truth 
so much that it just falls out of your mouth when you open your mouth. Come to our Sunday morning uh, family Bible study. We talk about truth. We talk about false doctrines. We talk about the basics of the Christian faith. There's just there's so many things you can do to lean into the truth. But however you do it, get into the word of God. Know the truth. Don't let the Bible collect dust on the shelf. Soak it up. Be saturated. And then return to it again. And meditate on it all the day. And then with that, we can go declare it. We can go speak it. Speak the truth to your children. Speak it at the store. Speak it in the public square. Incorporate it into every page of your school. Transform how you work. Let the truth drip from your business dealings. Reform the world in every dimension. Ballet, quilting, gardening, everything. Reform the truth with the word of God that sets men free. So Church of Christ, let us remember that the truth is what God has given us. We have to put on the belt of truth. Hear the call of Christ, our captain, and stand against the devil's lies. We have to hold steady that shield of faith. We need to become trained and practice in the sword of the spirit and take up this call for battle. And we look forward, just as Christian and faithful did on that final day when Christ, where truth will reign supreme for eternity in the new heavens and new earth. And today we've been given it. Today we know it. Today we trust in it. So let us know the truth and live. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of the living God. We thank you that you have given us this truth that is not something far away, it is not something distant, but it is what you have given us here and today. Oh, Father, help us. Give us faith to stand for it in every dimension of our lives that you have ordained. God, do this work amongst your church that you would receive the glory, that your truth would reign supreme, and that you would be known. In Jesus' name, amen.